The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the monthly Guest Dharma series. Welcome, everyone. Nice to see everybody here tonight. Surviving all the rain. Very happy to have Kamala Masters and Steve Armstrong, two of our senior teachers here at Common Ground. They've been coming for 20 years now, I think, or very close to that, if not 20 years, leading the TCBC, the Twin Cities. Did I miss that? Speak? No, <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. Oh, 20 years. Leading the Twin City Vipassana Collective Summer Retreat, which they just finished maybe six hours ago. And they're still moving to be here tonight. We're really grateful that usually they're able to come and give a talk at the center after their long nine-day retreat, leading, I think this year, 60 yogis. Yeah, so a lot of people, a lot of people in this room maybe were on that retreat as well. And uh, Steve and Kamala have also been part of the teaching team at IMS over the years, including for many years leading, being part of the teaching team for the three-month retreat in the fall, and still have a retreat that they lead twice a year, I think, out at IMS, or is it just twice, once a year, and then also at Spirit Rock. And they have uh, their own community in Maui, um, in Hawaii, and they're building a Dharma sanctuary there. They've been working on it for long-term, or long senior yogis to do meditation practice as well as serving the local community there in Maui. So it's really nice to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, is this on? Can you hear me? Okay. Hello from both of us. Steve's going to talk after I, I speak. And it's really always wonderful to come here uh, and be with all of you and see what wonderful things Mark and Wynne and the whole family have done here to make this wonderful community. Whenever we come here, I'm always so impressed. Steve and I are always so impressed with what a beautiful community you have. We go all over the world, and I would say that this is one of the most organized, one of the most sincere, connected communities uh, of all the communities that we visit. So uh, a lot of respect to Mark and to Wynn and to everybody who supports your this group here. Um, it's really an inspiration to a lot of people in the world. Thank you for that. A while ago... <laughs> Steve agrees. <laughs> um, a while ago, it was a few months ago, I think, that Mark wrote to us and said, okay, are you coming again? And we said, yes. And so he said, what's the title? And we gave the title of our talk, and we forgot all about it. So just a few hours ago, we remembered what the title of our talk was. Because we saw the email, and so we said, okay, what are we going to talk about? The title of our talk is Love in Wisdom and Wisdom in Love. So I'm going to do the first part, Love and Wisdom, and Steve's going to do the second part, <laughs> Wisdom and Love. And you're going to do the third part, because we're going to ask you questions so you can give your wisdom and your love to the group. Uh, so <clears throat> I just want to show you how true this really is. These are my cryptic notes. <laughs> Okay. We made them over dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so love and wisdom. 
And um, to make that more succinct, I want to talk about how love is support for is a support for wisdom, and how love is the very natural expression of wisdom. And so we start with love. We, if we look at our own lives and in our lives in our spiritual community or in our spiritual growth, in our family, um, in our workplace, in, in the places where we have greater learning, we decide and we know that it's so important to have that connection of love and care for ourselves and care for others. Because without that, we really can't be fulfilled human beings. Part of my own fulfillment in life is to realize that it's possible for me to love. It's possible for me to really care for myself enough to take up a spiritual path and really walk that path and then walk my talk on that path. It isn't easy. But I care enough about myself to do that. And all of you who are here have that kind of caring, that kind of really wanting to connect deeply with who we really are as human beings. We're not recluses. We live in a matrix of a community in our family lives, in our work lives, in our community, spiritual community lives. And for us to do that, and to do that with some kind of courage and connection, we have to first start out with care for ourselves. And maybe we don't appreciate it as much as we could, but we all have that caring for ourselves, and that's why we're here. And it's one of the first and foremost and foundational reasons that we can begin to understand that we can love, that it's possible that we're doing it right now, right where we are. Because a lot of us sometimes feel that we're lacking it in our lives. We're lacking that ability to feel that fulfillment of love. And it's one of the most beautiful feelings that we can have as human beings, is to love. And to be loved, yes, but mostly it's to be able to give our loves, give our love to first ourselves, and then to one another, to really feel nurtured by that. So, of course, in the, in the Dharma, we, we take love in the, in the matrix of the, the four Brahma Viharas, the four divine abodes, which I'm sure many, if not all of you, have practiced. And it starts with love. It starts with metta, that ability to offer love, to oneself and to others. People we know who are, we're close to, people we're not close to at all, and people we have difficulty with. So we start there. Our ability to give our love, our ability to be able to well, to give our well-wishing, to offer our goodwill. And how many of you have practiced metta, loving-kindness? Okay, all, all of you probably, and, and many of you who haven't, some of you will, if you keep coming here, of course, you'll learn and, and deepen it. So when we start with metta, that's the ability to be gentle with ourselves, to open our own hearts, 
to be able to connect with our capacity to give love. Really, that's what metta is all about. It's that generosity of the heart, to be able to give it. We use words and phrases, we use visualizations in our metta practice, and it's all about being able to give that, to create that intention within us, to touch into it, and then to send it out, send it to ourselves and send it out. It's not about receiving love in metta, it's about giving love. And so our capacity to give when we can do that, if we're really able to touch into that, gives us a great deal of fulfillment as human beings. So this is the first step in our metta practice. And then from that, we uh, shift to the vipassana, uh, the um, compassion practice. And if you look at the Brahma Viharas closely, you can see that we, when we start with metta, or the basic loving kindness, that ability to be gentle, to be friendly with ourselves and others by way of connecting with our own hearts, connecting with others in a friendly, goodwill way, and to be able to respect who we are as human beings, respect others, to be able to see the goodness in ourselves and see the goodness in others. And if we look at our habitual habit patterns, we see how great we need to do that. Many times it, what we learn in our retreats is how judgmental we are of ourselves how judgmental we are of others. And so we can change that by doing the metta practice. In our lives, we face a lot of suffering. It's, it's just how it is. We look in our own hearts, we look around us, we don't have to look very far, and there's a lot of suffering in the world, not just human beings, insects, animal beings, all realms. They say that even in the heaven realms, there's not as much suffering, but it's still there. So when we take metta and we turn it towards suffering, what happens to that metta is it turns into compassion. Our ability to face suffering with an open heart, our ability to face suffering with a gentle heart, with a heart that's able to say, I can connect with that suffering in my heart, I can connect with that suffering in you because I practice it with my own heart and I practice it with others. And this gives us the ability to have that fulfillment of that connection even within our suffering, to be able to love one another even through our suffering. It's so important because in this world of change, change brings suffering. And in this world of change, we have to be able to face that suffering that comes with change. Otherwise, the only thing we'll do is run away from it. We'll want to change our outer environment and just run away from it instead of using that, uh, using that information, using that uh, potential to change ourselves, to look into our own hearts and see what can we transform in ourselves in order to face this environment that we're in? So being able to turn loving-kindness to suffering is another form of love. And 
it's probably more important than any of the others to turn our, our ability to love even when there's suffering in us, even when there's suffering around us. And there's another area, of course, there is a lot of joy in the world. Maybe not as much as the suffering that we see and we experience, but there is a lot of joy in the world. And a lot of our suffering is because we can't open to the joy. We can't really see the joy that's around us. And what metta, or this friendliness, this friendly connection helps us to do, is to be able to see the joy, acknowledge the joy, and really connect with it. Really connect with it. And so this gives us a fullness of life, where we're able to really appreciate, open to all of life, not just trying to control it to make it perfect so that it's all pleasant and we can live in it with complete ease. The, the noble truth of life is there is a truth of suffering. That's the first noble truth. We're going to face dis-ease in our lives, outwardly and inwardly. And we're going to face joy also. For me, I've noticed because I was uh, born in a, a family of hardship, probably as most of you have, that um, it was difficult for me to open to the joy of life. It still is. I notice that my mind notices more suffering than it notices joy. And I really long to open to joy more. And I think I am. I'm, I'm attaining that more. So to be able to open to joy is another beautiful connection we can have with love as a basis, our, be, our ability to take love and turn it towards joy and say, and say to ourselves, I see you, joy. I see the joy in another. And may you continue, may that joy continue in your life. The fourth Brahma Vihara is the Brahma Vihara of equanimity. And this is the ability to open to all the ups and downs of life, the joy and the sorrow, the pain and the pleasure, with a mind that's balanced and easeful. And that balance and ease gives great clarity. The ability to know what to do with that situation. If it's difficult, how do we take a step to help in that difficulty? If it's joyful for another being, how do we support that joy so it will continue? So that equanimity is, enables us to have that kind of love, to see it clearly, to settle our hearts, and to make that connection with the other human being so that it really fulfills not only ourselves, but it can fulfill the other being as well. This is... Uh, this love has to be also the basis of equanimity. It's not a kind of dry connection. It's a very um, moist connection. So it, it connects. It's that kind of moistness that doesn't make it sticky, but makes that connection. So this beautiful feeling of love that we all aspire to have as human beings is available to us. And it's something that we need as a foundation for wisdom. Because if we're able to have these feelings of connection, of friendliness, of respect for one another, of the ability to be able to 
face the suffering, face the joy, and be able to have balance within all of that, it really enables us to see more clearly, to have less reactivity to all of what goes on habitually in our hearts. When we look at the four Brahma Viharas and we look at their, uh, their just look at their far enemies, the what we call the the places that are the direct opposites of love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. We see that they have to do with a lot of defilements. The direct uh, enemy or the direct opposite of love is aversion or hatred. And so when there's a lessening of hatred in our hearts, we're closer to that purity that is able to uh, reach that place of liberation, of complete purification of our own minds and hearts. The direct enemy of uh, compassion is cruelty, that, that striking out habitually when we face something that isn't comfortable, when we face suffering. We either strike out, we turn away, or we run away from what goes on. We close down instead of really facing it and see what, how we can transform inside, we just run away from it, or we, we blame others. And then the direct opposite of uh, mudita or sympathetic joy is envy or jealousy. We don't like what others are experiencing, and sometimes if it gets really bad, we want to hurt them because we want what they want. We don't want them to have what they have. It gets complicated on a psychological level, too. But all of this uh, helps us, all of these, this ability to see what suffering is in our own hearts, be able to let go of it, and to be able to walk more clearly on the path of liberation. This is the foundation that we're building for ourselves with love. <coughs> and then with that ability to really open our hearts, really go to that place of purifying those places in our hearts that hold us back from being liberated, purified. When we really experience wisdom deeply, then love comes very naturally from our own hearts. We connect very easily. We have courage to be with places that are difficult. All kinds of wisdom comes from that. So I'm going to let Steve take over now and talk about the wisdom. So I want to talk about love with baggage. We all have a lot of love relationships in our life. We love our partner. We love our parents. We love our children. We love our spiritual teachers. Our teachers love us. We love our pets. We hope, we hope we love this Mother Earth. And there are many other relationships in life that we call loving relationships. But let me review uh, what a uh, love relationship is like. You know, uh, when you fell in love, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the last time, the most recent time. <laughs> okay, so you see, you, you meet somebody, you know, and uh, 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 chemistry happens, you fall in love. 
and you look at that person, you think, wow, where have you been all my life? Hello, you're just what I need. Uh, isn't, it, isn't life great? And it goes that way for a while. <laughs> you know, and then you wake up on the other side of the moon one day, and you look at that same person that you love so much, and you think, what happened to you? <laughs> no. It doesn't work anymore. You know, it's like, and you don't have that same feeling. And you see the dark side of the moon, and all you can see is the, not what you would consider love. And yet, it's still a loving relationship. Wisdom is what you get when you learn from your love lessons mistakes. Because we all love, we all want to love, we all try to love, as Kamala said, and we don't do it so good, right? I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you just, you just don't do it too good. You know, you make mistakes, you kind of expect too much, you kind of uh, project all kinds of, you know, impossible you know, attributes and fantasies on this other person that they just can't possibly fulfill, but you don't know that yet. And later, they disappoint you, or I should say, you're disappointed by them. It's not their fault, it's your fault. You had these unrealistic expectations. Now, if you haven't experienced that yet, you're not paying attention. <laughs> okay? So now, what did you learn from that experience? That's the wisdom. If you're loving, if you're really trying to love, you can't help but learn and gain a tremendous amount of wisdom. I think. <laughs> because, you know, we enter these relationships with all kinds of expectations, unfulfilled needs, assumptions, uh, hopes, fantasies, ungrounded in the reality of our own projections and their limitations. After all, we're, we're just human. We're not angels. We're not saints. We're not. We're just human. You know, we come with all kinds of personal, emotional, family conditioning, cultural expectation baggage. So do they. Good luck. You know. And so, what we learn in those trying to trying to get along let alone have a loving relationship, is wisdom. How to love. We learn how to love someone who doesn't meet your expectations, doesn't satisfy your needs, with whom you can't be open. Or with my teacher. So I have this spiritual teacher in Burma, and you know, I, I, the kind of love I have for him, senior monk, is like I just have so much gratitude, so much appreciation and so much respect, and so much care for him to have an easeful, pleasant, happy life. And he is one tough bird. He is so demanding, and so... Uh, he's got such a high bar of what he expects from the students, it doesn't feel like love. It feels like, you know, a drill sergeant or something. You know, it's really demanding. And so, 
how do we understand this caring relationship that he has for me, that I have for him, when he asks these impossible commitments from me? Is that love? How do you know? Well, I'll use the word love. You know, there's a whole spectrum of love that I mentioned. You know, parents and pets and Mother Earth and teachers. You know, maybe we should find, you know, like, it's, I've heard that the Eskimos have, you know, 60 words for the different kinds of snow. Certainly in Hawaii they have, you know, 60 words for different kinds of rain. We have one word for love. Love. Or metta. You know, that's, a, that's, the, that's the most exalted kind of love. Very spiritual, and, you know, uncontaminated, no baggage, metta. And then, what else? Affection, is that love? Um, kind of, uh, I like you, that's kind of like, I'm, I'm hoping for it to kind of maybe grow into love. Uh, I used to like you, uh, <laughs> or, 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 or as, as, as Kamala said, uh, teenage daughter, when she was about 15. You know, I love you, but I don't like you. <laughs> because, man, they're tough. You know, okay, so what, what, what's that? I love you, but I don't like you. Hmm, okay. This is where we really learn. We're, this is where the rubber hits the road, and we've got to really articulate what it is we're learning about love in our trying to love the people in our life. You know, not that we can love them, but we're at least trying what do we learn? What do we learn about expectation? Did you ever have a love relationship where you didn't expect love in return? Okay. Is that, is that, is that what a love relationship is? I expect something of you, you expect something of me, as long as we meet each other's expectations, we're in love? I hope you've looked at that. <laughs> I have needs. You know, if you can meet them, does that mean that you love me or that I should love you? And what if I want to try to meet your needs because I love you, but you don't want to try to meet my needs because that's not what you think love is? How are you going to navigate that? Has anybody never been in love? <laughs> I think we've all we've all been in love, right? And we've all learned something, right? Are we loving successfully yet? Is anybody in a totally satisfying love relationship? <laughs> okay. See, this is this is the real world. No, meth is great, and I'm glad that I have learned that practice. And it's a noble aspiration. And it's far from what I call most of my love relationships. Right? So, this is where awareness training really develops wisdom. Because you see that our experiments with love don't always feel good. They kind of show up with kind of pain in our heart. And we question, is that necessary in a love relationship? Is it necessary to have pain 
in order to know that you're in love or that you have a love relationship with someone? What about infatuation? What about just lust? You know, you meet somebody and you get really lusted. You know, you fall in lust with somebody. And, uh, you know, anybody never had that happen? <laughs> right? So we all know what that is. Is that love? Is that a kind of love? I mean, it's like, you know, you meet my needs, I'll try to meet yours. Isn't that okay? And then there's parental love. Ask your kids if you if they think you love them. Yeah, yeah, I know you do, but it doesn't feel like that all the time. Right? I was asking me just the other day about my relationship with my parents, and if I knew that they loved me. Sheesh. Yes, but how? How do you know they love you? And did they love you like you want to be loved? <laughs> Not easy. So this is where paying attention to our direct experience, our immediate and tangible experience of uh, uh, trying to love someone, being loved in return, and seeing how it works, seeing what you can learn about that, and how you can take what you learn to uh, other relationships. You know, because uh, it's not over yet. We all have more opportunities to learn about the nature of love and the nature of how to love. Am I done yet? So, I was talking to come over dinner about this evening and I asked her to talk first so I could talk second. And we would like you to also share your love lessons. Now, all of you have acknowledged that you've been in love, and all of you have probably not been in love, and you've all fallen in lust, and you have a spiritual teacher, and what have you learned? What piece of wisdom can you offer everyone else in the room that you have learned from your love relationships? We're done talking. It's your turn. <laughs> you've all been in love relationships, right? You've all had some success, and I'm going to guess that you've had some challenges, if not failures. What have you learned? I think that what little I know of Buddhism, what's so well designed about it for me is uh, in learning how to love yourself really yeah. deeply, the ugly parts, the greedy parts, whatever, you teach yourself how to love other people. So if you can always be just a little bit ahead, it gives you that, it gives me equanimity. So With I, the I like, yeah, yeah, so the possibilities of what you describe uh, to go sort of all the way with a, another person is because you've really done that with yourself. It's like you teach yourself. Um, and I think that's just, it's just really well designed. It really gives you the room to always sit and love yourself and have enough love then when you leave to share it. 
So it's a good model. That's a really good comment. You know, she said that, you know, what she understands about Buddhist practice, it's, it's learning how to love yourself, which is really learning how to open your own heart, open your mind, see what's in there, come to understand it, accept it, understand it, work with it. And to the extent that you can do that with yourself, when you meet another person or when you meet that condition in another person, then you're more likely to be able to recognize it, open to it, accept it in them. Did I get that right? Okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. One thing that has come to me of late, real recently, is about personalization. And in a class that I'm coming to with Mark, we've been talking about that and some personal things the whole personalization of things and how we can get ourselves and other, our other relationships into so much trouble by just personalizing things that happen and just to allow it to be and listen rather than to take it on. Mm-hmm. Did you understand what you said? how mm-hmm. I said that. <laughs> so she's talking about personalizing and personalization and I didn't understand it. <laughs> That's because I'm dealing with it. <laughs> well, I, as I understand it, what you're learning now is to be able to hear what another person is going through, observe what another person is going through, and not personalize it to yourself. Right. But just to let it be. Yes. To, yeah. And it's a way where you understand, in my own words, that, okay, that's their journey right now. That's what you're going through right now. And then also, if we do personal, if I do personalize it, it means maybe I need to take a look at myself about that same topic. If I do personalize it, maybe it means that I need to take a look at myself about that same topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, are we learning to love others kind of as a generic being you know because you're a being and you have the inevitable conditions of suffering in your life and needs and loneliness and whatnot I love you and I want to have that kind of affection connection approval uh, acceptance whatnot or is love really about learning the very personal expression of another person all their faults, all their foibles, all their trips, all their neediness, and also loving and accepting all that. Yeah? I think so. My favorite thing is that he knows me and gets me and loves me anyway. He knows me, he gets me, and he loves me anyway. I think. We'll ask him later. I think that, 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 that would be our uh, supreme wish, isn't it? That we could really hang it all out there. You know, all of our insecurities, all of our neediness, all of our aversions, and all of our just kind of like trips about ourselves and each other and whatnot, and the other person just say, yes, and I love you so much. I totally accept it, even though it really pisses me off. Uh, you know, and it's not what I want, and you're not meeting my needs very well. I totally accept you. Right? I mean, that's what we'd like to have. I would. I get it, mostly. 
<laughs> Anything else? I think the thing that's hardest, and this could probably apply to most relationships, are the, the expectation and how much suffering comes from that. But I find it like impossible not to have expectation. So, so expectations lead to a lot of disappointment well, or challenge. In any relationship, like parental or, um, I don't find it so much in friendship, but like personal relationships and stuff like that, um, when there's expectation, that's when a lot of problems on both ends happen, and that's where there seems to be most suffering, that's when all your stuff comes out, but how to not have expectations, like it's really hard to figure out the balance of that, so... That's been my observation. That's like the hardest thing to grapple with is like how to balance out having expectations of somebody but not where it creates so much disappointment or suffering when that isn't met. Well, let me just ask you something. Is it okay to have expectations of someone? Well, yeah. Yeah. Then it's okay to be disappointed by them. I don't particularly enjoy it, but... <laughs> In this dualistic world, if you have expectations, you got to expect disappointment. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just uh, talking to somebody about this idea that you, everyone in general, attracts the type of love that they think they deserve. So, like, in an extreme sense, someone that's in an abusive relationship, on some level has this conscious or unconscious belief that that's what they deserve, or vice versa, they're really expansive, you know, they'll attract that. And so it kind of goes back to this core feeling like if you can do the well, work, whatever that is, on yourself, and, and get to that place of self-love, self-acceptance, then the rest is going to somehow, maybe this is mythological, not true, but like, magnetically happen, you know, like, you're not going to put the blocks there, you know, unconsciously. It's interesting enough. Oh, uh, I was hoping you'd have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think there's something to that comment that to the extent that we have done some work and we understand how to love ourselves, that we're more likely to recognize when others love us that way too. Uh, if we don't know what love is, then we could get into a very abusive relationship and think this is love. You know, or if that's what you have been conditioned to believe is a loving relationship, but it's very abusive, then when you find somebody to abuse you, then you think that's, that's it. So it does take a lot of work to really understand what loving yourself is. Yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of work, a lot of uh, self knowledge and self-investigation to know how to love yourself, how to really open to all of your fears, all of your vulnerabilities, all of your neurotic expectations, disappointments, all of your and accept it. This this is this is the way it is. You know? We're we're very imperfect. You know? And then let that be okay. And as soon as it's okay then oh well it's not a problem anymore. Yeah. I, yeah, I have these needs. I accept them. Okay. No. Maybe you'll meet my needs. Maybe not. That's, not. that's not the nature of the relationship. That's not the love relationship. I have my own needs. 
maybe you can meet them. Maybe not. We can still love each other. Huh. That sound right? It does? It's hard to do, though. Hard to do. Yeah. Any other guys? Yeah. <laughs> I just check and see if, you know, I mean, all these women are talking, and I mean, thank you very much, but, you know, uh, yeah. You know, you talk about all the different words there are for snow in the Eskimo language, and all the different kinds of love that are parental, sibling, romantic, friendship. What I found is that it's, it's a lot easier to tell somebody you love them if you don't have that attachment to the reciprocity of love. That that expectations that they're going to love you back is a lot easier just to love someone and enjoy that and not be worried about whether they're going to love you back. Let's do a survey. (laughs) How many of us are really skillful and have had many loving relationships where we just put it out and we don't expect anything back? You can hold up how many of those relationships you have with the number of fingers. Okay, seeing universal agreement, it's hard. You know, it is. We do. You know, even, uh, you know, you give a dog a bone out of appreciation and you expect him to stick around and say thanks. That's what I've learned. It's from some pain from past relationships. Love that person or persons and they eventually didn't love me back. So even though I still love them, I kind of realized that it's okay to still love them, but. I don't have to worry about the rest of that reciprocity. And they feel, you feel much better about it than if you don't just worry about it. There's no attached to that. But being dumped is really painful. Yeah. Right. You know, putting it out there and somebody saying, gee, thanks a lot, but, you know. Well, I want to put a word time. in for Meta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I really believe that it's a mix that we, we feel disappointed, we have expectations, uh, we, we want that recipro- reciprocity, uh, we want to be loved also. But there are moments in our relationships with everyone where we can still love them even when, you know, they're a jerk. <laughs> we can still love them. Or we can still uh, feel our ability to offer our love through, maybe they're going through some hardship. I mean, how many of you have children? And you know how it is. that, that You just watch them go through their hardships. It's hard. You don't like them sometimes. But you still feel that kind of love. That's metta. That's unconditional. So a lot of our relationships have conditions as part of it. And if we, we don't have to look very far to see that there are some parts of it that are unconditional. So it's not all one way, of course. You know, there's a high bar. And that part is metta, where we can love unconditionally. And that's part of it, too. So it's not all just one way or another. Yeah. I've been noticing a lot lately, just feeling love. Or people I don't even know. So I'm not talking about relation. I'm talking about seeing somebody, maybe in a hardship case, maybe in a friendly case, observing children. And I just can't help but feel love of welling for them. Mm-hmm. So I support Scott. <laughs> I'm not looking for any reciprocity. 
<laughs> Good theory, man. <laughs> when I made a comment, so I was talking about not just about romantic, though, about parental. I've had discussions with someone else that my father never told me he loved me his whole life before he died. And I'm sure there's others who are very stoic German, you know, upbringing. You know, and so, and, and whether he told me not, I still love him. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. That. Yeah. I got that from what we were talking about. When we were having the conversation the other night, uh, I guess it was last night, about did you feel that your parents loved you? And Steve was asking me. My, I come from an Asian mother, a Swedish father, who was born in Minnesota, by the way. And, uh, and I wasn't around my father very much, but I always knew my mother loved me. Well, do I really know? Well, I don't know. I don't know if she really knew. But she acted like she, and she took care of me, and she protected me. And even when I was a bad girl, you know, she still showed her care for me. So I felt that, you know, that was instilled in me very, very, very young age, that um, there was this unconditional love around me. So I know it's possible to be able to give that. Yeah, I'm with you, uh... What's your name? Tom. Tom. I'm with you. I, you know, I, I too can can be going through the checkout counter in the grocery store, and you you get to the you get to the guy or the, the lady that's doing the checking thing, and they're just hairy. They're just kind of like them. And sometimes you just feel so like just so connected and so appreciative and so caring, and it's so easy to to love them. <coughs> Because you're only there for ten seconds, but no, I mean it's not because you're only there for ten seconds. But it, you know, for ten seconds, man, you can just kind of beam it on them, and you know, you know I have a short, I have a short attention span, <laughs> and so you know, and, and and it's genuine, isn't it? It's you really feel like you really care for them. Have a good day, you know. And then you get outside, and there's the person that's you know. Taking care of the carts, picking up all the carts in the in the grocery stores, in the parking lot, and you can feel the same thing for them. And you know, these little hits of of that kind of love throughout the day really do a lot to keep the heart really connected and really participating in the communal life that we all live. You're not living in isolation where every every person you meet is just a commercial transaction where every person you meet becomes a love uh, relationship, at least for 10 seconds, 15, 20 seconds. That's really, really a nice way to live. Well, last time you were here, I believe that you spoke about being in Seattle and uh, having people there. Oh, yeah, the Portland home, homeless the people. Portland people doing things for, you, for money, washing the shows. And you expressed some very loving thoughts about somebody you didn't even know, but you see him. <laughs> and I thought that was a very beautiful example of caring, loving, and, and supporting the way you spoke to that person. Oh, you have a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, um, a long time ago, somebody told me. Um, well, in altruistic loving relationships, you don't need anything back. 
but in a personal relationship, um, you have to, there has to be an exchange or it can't be sustained. And um, from tonight's discussion, I'm thinking, when we do pure meta for somebody we don't know, and the grocery store example is great, or might be a world leader that we don't personally know, you know, there's not something personal we're going to get back. And then Kamala's example of the parent, well, there's some altruistic, <laughs> long, you know, patience and things where you're not getting much back, and then sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. It, you know, and maybe in a friendship it's more like more equal balance give and take. So now I'm thinking maybe it's not just this dichotomy either dichotomy of either altruistic or, or perfect give and take, but that it's really a kind of a continuum. Mm. So that's sort of what I'm thinking about the discussion. Yeah, that sounds right. Martha. I think um, I wanted to kind of follow up something Mark was saying yesterday about um, that we need to learn how to live in community in order to um, uh, contribute to the world. And I think in terms of loving and community, the biggest challenge that I have is not believing my judgments and not believing others' judgments. Not so believing like, your own judgments about yourself and others? About myself. So not believing my own judgments about others and not believing my own judgments about me. And also not believing others' judgments about themselves and others' judgments about me. And just being able to, you know, not believe that, not fight it, but not believe it. And then to, to see the pain that's underneath that, and then to access compassion. And I'm really in a good spot I can do that. But I think that's, for me, one of the biggest challenges of, of loving the community, whether it's work or, or common ground or, you know, bigger groups of people. Well said. We agree. Joanne, back, back there, has something. I was just going to say, you know, sometimes I think, and I feel this from you guys, I mean, it's kind of an example of, you know, Upandita, um, you know, when somebody that I'm in a relationship takes this risk, they care about our relationship, and they give me this really really heartfelt, um, you know, you're driving me nuts because you're doing this. And, you know, it's, I really, I, and, and you guys don't say it that way, but whenever you've given, given me feedback that I really needed to hear, I mean, I'm so grateful for that. And it, that to me really strengthens the relationship, and I feel that as uh, a love. Because it's like I care about our relationship, and if we don't, you know, work this out, that you know. So I think that other aspect too. Um, it, it's not, you know, you, you know, sweet and all of that, but it's it's really honest. Uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you, uh, Joanne, for that. I think that being able to, as a teacher, being able to admonish and to encourage and to, you know expect and lay out, you know, that kind of teaching is really valuable in interpersonal relationships or domestic love relationships. It's a little more delicate. I mean, people enter student-teacher relationships with us because they want that, but I'm not sure we always want that from our 
domestic partners, but I want to hear what, what you have to say. I think the biggest thing for me that I've learned is just that it, a, a great deal of it is about acceptance, and that means acceptance of myself yes. completely and acceptance of the other people that I'm dealing with. Mm. Um, and with that, I think that whole unconditional thing comes in, but then also... The whole expectation of reciprocity, you might have an expectation of that, but if you have an acceptance that you may not get that, and you accept that whether you get it or not, you're still going to love this person. You're still going to love, you know, whoever it is you're dealing with in whatever facet it is. The love is going to be there, so you just accept that, and it makes, I, I think it makes the process easier. Mm. Yeah. So I think we all see in one way or another from all these comments and all the ways people have offered their challenges and, and what they found through them is that there's a middle path. <laughs> it's not all one way or another. Yeah. And I guess with each one of us too, it's what our needs are and what we need to be able to feel supported, what we what we need to be able to love. Uh, not just to feel loved, but to offer love to others. And we're all going to be in different places at different times in our lives. I always ask myself, what's the middle path? What's the middle path here? One more, and I think we're coming to a close now. Yeah. Um, impermanence. I think it's, for me, anyway, it's been like the key dividing line that um, the, mo the most satisfying love relationship I've had is loving my daughter because I can abandon myself to that. I know it's not going to stop. There's just no way that it'll, it'll stop when I'm dead. And if she's dead first, then it won't stop until I'm dead. Yeah. But with other people, the fear and the fact of impermanence uh, is always there. It's a possibility. And I remember um, 12 years ago when my major relationship ended and I was on retreat with you guys and I asked, how can we have commitment in, in an impermanent world? And um, this was, you know, when we used to pass notes to the teachers and then they would wait a couple days to reply to me. <laughs> so she's talking about when you've written a note to a teacher on retreat and you're waiting for them to reply. It's been a couple of days and they haven't. You're just kind of like, oh my God. And, and the answer that, that you gave me was uh, that commitment is a willingness to be present through the changes of impermanence. Mm -hmm. And I've held that in my heart. Yeah. yeah. So. What did we learn? That life and love offer a lot of lessons that we can learn from. And if we're open to it, we'll keep growing in our capacity. We'll keep learning how to love better or love more. You know, not because we don't make mistakes or not because we are perfect, but because we're willing to pay attention and learn from them and not to, not to 
expect our expectations to be met and to you know, accept the disappointment when either unbeknownst to us or even with full knowledge of ourselves, we've had expectations that haven't been met and disappointment is a part of love. Sometimes. Thank you so much, Stephen Kamala. <laughs> Hopefully they'll get a well-deserved rest tonight. If you want to find out more about what Stephen Kamala are up to, you can look at the Vipassana Metta Foundation, or if you just Google their names, you'll find their site, and they have information about their Dharma Sanctuary on Maui, if you want to get more information on some of the other projects that they support also in Burma, um, and just around the in the West, the different Dharma opportunities that they've been provided for so many people. Thanks Good. so much for being Thank here. You. Thank you. Hope we'll see you next summer, if not sooner. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.